0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Hardcore Finance Show with Shimon and Alex. Shimon is feeling uh, very sky-high today. He has beautiful moons behind him in his office over there. Is that what it is?
1: It's uh, Bitcoin to the moon, but uh, different stages, you know.
0: The rising moon, the full moon, and no, the way, no waning moons. Your head covers the waning moon just perfectly. Bitcoin <laughs> does not wane. Yep, yep. How Have was you... uh I was going to ask you the same thing. It's been a little bit since we talked. Uh, I've been good. Uh, I've been good. I had a, a nice little barbecue over the weekend. I think you came. Do you remember coming to my barbecue? I do remember. It was great. Good, good, good. Yeah, we we had some. Uh, I remember listening to the All in podcast. You know how they they always talk about the wine they drink. Like, oh, this is three hundred dollars. I'm a private chef. I'm the private chef. Our wine is twenty dollars a bottle, and that's like the That's a high end wine. I have to say though,
1: we have up to the meat game recently by getting really, really good meat.
0: We have we have. There's a butch there's a this butcher shop was money. I I love teriyaki. So I do teriyaki. One half teriyaki, one half what salt and yeah. The meat game is 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 pretty. Uh, like, it's pretty critical. I'm going to go outside. Uh, we got feedback, by the way. Remember our walking our walking mm-hmm. episode? We got really good feedback. People love the fact that it was like changing it up and walking. So, you know, you just change the scenery a little bit. Move around. Let's not be so rigorous and professional. And we're just we're having fun in this pod. That's true. That's true. I would move outside, but I would be
1: backlit because uh, the sun is very strong where I am currently. <laughs>
0: Poor, poor you, Shimon, the problems that we all have. The sun yeah. is too strong.
1: Well, that's the one advantage of leaving the Bay Area, which is like the uh, the weather when it's hot, it's so nice. Yeah. Because there, there's a hypothesis that people in the Bay Area never grow up emotionally because it's like always the same season. So you don't feel the, t- the time passing. So you have all these like 45 year olds acting as if they're like 25 year olds.
0: Uh young and hard basically San francisco where it, it's not the burning man or the drugs or the the shit map or the homeless people it's uh it's the weather i mean it's a
1: unique combination of all of the above. How about that <laughs> the beautiful it's like it's like it's like a what recipe
0: and it would just not be the it's, same. The whole thing falls apart it's not like what San Francisco and the homeless people what is this place? <laughs> <laughs> Where are we? Is this Austin? Actually Austin has homeless people too. Is this New York? Wait, have... Damn it. Um Yeah, by the way, speaking, uh it's
1: so funny how uh this is like not uh political, just as a media stunt. What Ron DeSantis Ron DeSantis did was so hilarious to me, whether you agree yeah. with his policies or not. Uh do you know what he did or Oh, yeah. Well,
0: no, I think you should catch, catch everyone
1: up. So, you know, we both Alex and I currently live in Washington, D.C., and people have been complaining that uh, tons of uh, basically uh, DeSantis is taking people who come into the country illegally and just sends them to D.C. Mm-hmm. by giving them like bus tickets for free uh, to D.C. And, uh, and it's really funny because they're all outside of Kamala Harris, the vice president, outside of her house. There's
0: this Wait, inside. I don't know about the
1: D.C. I knew about Martha's Vineyard. So Martha's Vineyard is what I wanted to talk about. But before mm-hmm. that, so in D.C., yeah. there was this uh, this guy interviewing the uh, guy outside of Kamala Harris's house. and He's like, hey, uh, did you come here illegally? And he's like, yeah, I came here illegally. He's like, was it easy to cross the border? He's like, yeah, it was very easy to cross the border. And it's like right outside of her of her house and then by by the way i really support immigration i think immigration is great and it's one of the things that makes this country like really really good because like most countries like in europe uh russia they have like negative growth in population so like i think it's one of the biggest assets and i actually don't even care if it's legal or illegal because like you know if you come here and find a job and you can pay your rent like you're welcome as far as i'm concerned like uh it should be like if you come here legally you get benefits and if you come here illegally you don't get benefits but you can still come as far as i'm concerned i know it's not a yeah. um, traditional but what's funny about martha's vineyard so they sent like 50 people to martha's vineyard uh just as a political stunt and just like watching the reactions of people uh on twitter was just hilarious like um anyway you you guys can just like google it and and uh, see but it's basically like only 50 people and all these like gazillionaires and Martha's Vineyard didn't they're like, oh no, we can't support this in our small little island. And so then they mobilized the whole national guard and like deported them to a military base of Cape Cod. It's, it's just like, it's. I, I just wish that our government would be competent and good and just say, look, this is the policy and this is what we're doing. But all this like political back and forth, it just sounds like really not serious to me. Uh, just like the Fed, by the way, it's like I wish they could just say, look, this is our policy, we're sticking to it, and we're credible. Instead of like all of my financial crypto Twitter now, it's all about like, ooh, is the Fed gonna pivot? Is the Fed not gonna pivot? Is it gonna pivot? When is it gonna pivot? Is it gonna pivot before the elections, or after the elections? I'm like, oh, wh- why do politicians have so
0: much like inconsistency, you know? What, uh, what do you mean? Because because people are talking about when when the pivot's coming? What does yeah. that do to a politician? Like, if only we had
1: an algorithmic sort of money that does not change, like Bitcoin, uh, you know, we could just plan better. Because, like, all of these, like, oh, is it going to pivot? Yes or no? Like, you know, at least if they were credible and they would say, look, 2% inflation is our target. As long as we're above 2%, keep raising interest rates. As long as we're below 2%, we're not going to raise interest rates. And if you could really believe that, you could plan much better. But, like, nobody believes it. People are like, oh, they're going to raise now the target to, like, 4%. So that will, I, I don't know. What, what do you think about this whole uh, Fed pivot situation? I wish
0: they could pivot. <laughs> I want them to pivot. Um, I'm more nervous about it. I mean, we can talk about the elections. I am beginning to see that its I want them to do the right thing. Like they printed too much money, and they said inflation was transitory, which is clearly wrong. Why did they do it? Because Powell was getting confirmed in the Senate, and so he wanted to—I uh, think, right? It's all uh, conjecture—but he wanted to appeal to the left, Democrats, in order to and, and be kind of oh, dovish and print more money. As soon as he got confirmed, or there was indication, they pivoted and they and they started uh, quantitative tightening. Now they don't want to leave a legacy because for them it's a person, personal. Excuse me, personal choice of like, hey, do I leave a legacy that I created? You know, the worst inflation in the history of the United States, or do I err on killing inflation? Right, forget recession and others. But I didn't. I wasn't the one, the fair chairman or the, the board that let inflation run away. So they're gonna go crazy. They're gonna go crazy. They're gonna do seventy five. I don't think they'll do 100, but they'll definitely do 75 because the CPI numbers came in hot. The CPI is a backwards-looking indicator, not a forward-looking indicator. Why CPI hot? Rents, rents lag six months or so. You know, <clears throat> in terms of what's rolling over, they're starting to roll over now in terms of growth. But but when oil oil rolled over, and so it's negative, right? Uh, negative pull on the CPI. Rents are now starting to kick in. And they're a positive pull. They're a sticky pull on the CPI. And so the CPI will continue to be somewhat high, even though the underlying economy is, is, is you know, is fractured. Um, and so what we, we see, like, uh, we see a lot of the PMI, for example, manufacturing and indices, they're, they're definitely in, in correction, bear market, and recession territory. So when, you know, the Fed is, is looking at, at least the metrics they're citing, they also cite, cite the PC deflator. But they're they're citing metrics that are uh, that are quite lagging, and so I'm worried that they'll keep on being hawkish because you know it's it's just like um it's it's CYA it's it's you know why do you go why does one kiss their boss's ass their boss's butt because it's you know you don't want to lose your job Powell and them they want to lose their jobs and they want to be known as people who killed inflation even if. So the recession afterwards, no one's going to remember They're going to remember high inflation and Powell killed it. Paul Volcker, Powell talks about Paul Volcker, you know, hero of the American way and the Fed, destroyed the economy by killing inflation. That's really the only way, especially when a lot of it's supply
1: driven. But the problem is that with Paul Volcker, you didn't have these levels of debt. And I'm not even talking about like US debt. I'm talking about global debt. Because what happens is if you raise interest rates and the rest of the world doesn't raise interest rates, the currency here is going to become so strong that it's going to kill the exports. So it's really, really going to hurt, you know, manufacturing and stuff. And so I I just don't think like, I don't know. I, I was just listening to a podcast with Luke Grohman and it's like, it seems that like all the options are bad, but I'm willing to bet this is my prediction that they would rather leave inflation a little bit hot and not cause a recession. I don't know about timeline. They already caused a recession.
0: We're already well,
1: no, in a recession. I, I, a much deeper recession. So what I wanted to hear, like, can I share a screen? Okay. So what I wanted to show is this is the NASDAQ from 2007 right so like you know or even before from 2003 but you can see that after the the big global financial crisis in 08 it's a pretty steady trend and so you clearly see that here in may 2020 we started to overheat way 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 above the trend and now we're back in the trend so i think that like if you just keep things as they are currently It's not a recession. Like, I don't consider it a huge recession. I mean, yes, it is technically whatever, two quarters of negative growth. But I don't think you can look at this fall here and say that it is like terrible in a recession. My point is, if they keep increasing interest rates, it can become much, much, much worse. So we can actually go below the trend line, just like we did in 2008. And I don't think, that's my prediction, I don't think they will go below this trend line for long. I mean, yes. Here we went a little bit during March of 2020 when COVID hit. This, by the way, in 18 was when they started tightening the last time, and then they got spooked and they continued money printing. You know yeah, what I mean?
0: They got spooked because we didn't have as much. We didn't have as much debt. Yeah. So look, the stock market doesn't define a recession. A recession is the economy, right? The stock market has future expectations. Now. Uh, so that's why I slightly disagree with you, but I will agree that we're, there's a lot of talk out there that we're in a secular bull market and we have a bear, call it a correction, you know, a cyclical bear market exactly. within a secular bull yep. market. That's right. What I and so, and these secular bull markets last 15 years or so. So 2008 plus 15 is going to be 15 to 18 years. So we'll probably have, you know, another few years ahead of us. 23, 24, 25, 26, and then somewhere towards the end of the 1920s, ironically, we did an episode on this called The Roaring Twenties way back... uh, um, Before COVID. Before COVID. We did this before COVID. Yeah, yeah. 2019 to 2020. One of Mm -hmm. our first episodes. Um, We talked about this can be The Roaring Twenties. I hope that's right. I hope that's right. Although we have never seen... If you look at... There's a great chart of the Fed funds rate. And it's like, you know, gradual, gradual down and hard down and then zero. And then boom, the skyrocket up. We never had an increase. Uh, and, and QT. So quantitative, quantitative, excuse me, tightening in the way we've had it now. Ever. Mm. Yeah. So the Fed is really, it's like they broke it one way. Now they're breaking it the other way. Right. It's almost like, you know what it feels like? It feels like a, um, like if you're driving a car, like a bus and you're going way too fast, you know, and it starts leaning. And mm-hmm. so what do you do? You overcorrect hard the other way. Right. And
1: mm-hmm. then it,
0: literally you see this in movies all the time. And it's physics. It just starts wobbling. And by overcorrecting, you actually tip the car much more than, than not. And the car Wait, tips is over it? and breaks. Mm-hmm. How do they work? <laughs> yeah, no,
1: I completely agree because like the thing is we've never seen anything like COVID before in terms of financially. So it's like all bets are off as far as I'm concerned.
0: So like, yeah. And people can't figure out what world to build for. People can't figure out what world to do. Are we going to go back to pre-COVID? Zoom is a great example. Are we going to go back to post-COVID? Are people going to come back to the office? Are people going to do half and half? Is it going to be hybrid for how long? Inventory issues that we've had, Walmart, Target, and others. We bought the stuff that people needed pre-COVID, trying to sell it post-COVID. We can't. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty about what the new world looks like. What does the consumer want? What should you build? On top of it, add in insane easing, then insane tightening, and then a war, and then a threat of Taiwan, and then a geopolitics moving. This is really an attack of Russia plus China on the West. Right. This yeah. is a fight for kind of the new world order. Um, yeah. So there's a lot. It's kind of like a, each one of these events isn't that big of a deal, even though each one is a very big deal. But together, it's almost like this insane black swan that's worse than 2008. It's a serious black swan.
1: But you know? I wouldn't say it's worse than 2008 because I think 2008 had a st- big structural problem in the financial system, which uh, someone explained it to me like, the financial system is like the blood of, of the economy. And so having a big structural problem in the financial system is like having like an autoimmune something in your blood, you know, nothing else can function versus here. There's a bunch of things that I'm optimistic about that I want to uh, like, I don't see enough people cover them. For example, what Putin uh, with his gas, his cheap, natural gas. What he did to Europe is almost like getting someone addicted to a drug that's not good because like it was clear that he would use this leverage. Uh, I think we've mentioned this in previous episodes, but the whole uh, Syrian civil war that Putin like was on one side of was to block a pipeline from the Middle East into Europe that can compete with Putin's energy. And so his whole thing And by the way, this is one of the things that I really don't like about the Biden administration that, thank God, they just corrected. But they basically blocked the pipeline that was supposed to compete with Putin that goes through Israel and under the sea uh, directly into Europe. Uh, Trump supported it, so they blocked it. I don't know if it was just like for spite or whatever. But now, because of the war, they unblocked it. And now this can be developed. And also... People say oh it's going to be more expensive because we're going to kind of deglobalization um but I don't think you know, nearshoring.
0: The world... what it's called near shoring yeah,
1: nearshoring basically it was like, oh, all these cheap things in other countries it makes everything better, right it increases our profits, but it only increases the profits in the short term because then when people have leverage, they can use this leverage to to extract more and more rents, so what Putin was doing with this energy allowed. Uh, all the, you know, green uh, parties in Europe to be against development of nuclear and other types of like energy that's actually sustainable. And I think energy is really the the the, the bedrock of, of everything else. Like everything is upstream of energy. Now, the crazy thing is the difference between the stagflation we had in the 70s and now is that in the 70s, the Middle East was the only big supplier of energy. And Uh, the west because of uh israel and its wars and whatever so the the crazy stagflation of the 70s wasn't just a financial phenomenon it actually had something in the real world oil right that became much more expensive i think it went from like you know one dollar per gallon to you know a lot more uh almost overnight They literally had ads saying, like, lower your thermostat, it's better for your health or whatever. So now we don't have energy problems in the long term. We just have energy problems in the short term because people didn't develop these resources. Like the U.S., for example, Biden stopped all of these, like, developments in the... Or what I don't know exactly. I'm not an energy expert, but I know that he he definitely slowed down the production of energy in this country, and so now he has an impetus. Right, gas prices went up, so now suddenly he unblocked all of these things. So my point is that the the terrible thing that Putin is doing is actually good for the long term economy, even though it brings with it short-term pain. So I think we can grow out of this. And again, I'm not talking about the CPI or whatever. I'm talking about the real economy. Like We both agree that in order to get out of this huge debt crisis that we have, we just need to produce more things. That, that's like, no matter how you call it, no matter how you account for it, we just need to produce more things. Prices will go down when you produce more and more things. And so it's not easy to do it in the short term, but I'm optimistic in the long run.
0: They brought up a bunch of different things there. Um, uh, look, in the long term, we're good. Because as long as we don't have ourselves in World War III, because people are going to get off of Russian gas and uh, we'll, we need to figure out how to dismantle, so to speak, Russia. Because Russia, uh, we should talk about this actually in a second. We'll come back to it. But just like we did with Germany in the, at the end of World War I, we can't let a country just suck, you know, sink into the swamp. Because then someone else is going to come back and, and come after us. For it. Um, so Russia will, will, Russia's demographics, economics, the whole system is just, it's about to fall apart sooner rather than later. And this war is going to exacerbate. It. Let's come back to that in a second. There's another thing that Raoul Paul actually talks about a lot is major demographic shifts. And so in the 70s, there was a huge baby boomer population. So, you know, 45 and you're in the 70s, you're in your prime, 30 years old, 35 years old. Uh, the baby boomers that, that came up, started getting money and now they want to spend, right? 35 to 50 or so. This is the prime uh, time of a person's professional career and so on. So you're coming into money. And so you have this huge demand push on top of everything to, to buy goods we don't have that right now, you know. We don't have this big bulge in the population coming through and rolling in, and so that's very, very different than what uh, happened in the seventies. But I, before we go to Russia, we should, because um, there's an interesting uh, the, the the Ukraine counterpans offensive created an interesting dynamic uh, between basically created warlords. Maybe we do part two of this episode. So we'll hear
1: that because you're so much more, uh, you know, on top of the
0: the recent developments in that yeah. world. let's do that part two, but what I wanted to bring up to attention is that in the macro, everything's fine, but people live day to day. You know, people need to buy food day to day. We can't even wait six months. Even for us, we're looking at our portfolios and the quality of life and ability to spend, you know, when, when the numbers are, when the, the economy is suffering, and, you know, I, I forgot how many trillion like uh, were, were, were wiped out from consumer consumer wealth from equities and real estate and so on. Trillions, tens of trillions, uh, if if I'm correct, um, that's tough, you know, that's tough day to day, week to week, you're not thinking about what you're talking about is going to take five to 10 years. Well, I mean, it's going to take
1: five to 10 years, but the stock market is going to price it in sooner. So I'm not saying it's not tough for people. Uh, it's very tough for people, but uh, I'm just thinking from an investor perspective.
0: No investor, what time horizon?
1: If, as far as I'm concerned, it's like infinite time horizon. You know, I started. This is another topic that we could we could. No, seriously, we can uh, talk about it uh, on the on part two. But like, what is the right time horizon? Because like, one thing that I learned from from the um, what just happened to us with the whole wipeout is like the value of cash. So if you have a certain percentage of the portfolio as cash, mm-hmm. right, then it's like a buffer and you can always say, like let's say it's 20% of your portfolio or 10% even of your portfolio is cash. So then when your stocks go up, when your crypto goes up, it gives you, uh, you, you sell to rebalance. And then when stocks go down, suddenly cash becomes more than 10%, then you use that cash to buy stocks lower. So that actually helps you have an infinite time horizon because that's something that's sustainable basically through ups and downs of the market. Now, the way we've been doing this, like leveraged without cash, then definitely it's much more sensitive to volatility. But at least what I'm uh, planning to do is going forward, I am going to have 10% of my portfolio just as cash and just rebalance it once every quarter. Or once a year, you know, if it's for capital gains, I still need to figure out the, um, you know, maybe put it in an LLC and then there's no long-term capital gains and stuff. But my point is, I'm starting to have cash from now on. It
0: can really, really- Oh, yeah. How okay. much are you going to have? I mean, I'm thinking 10 to 20%. That's probably that's probably high um, overall, but I'm probably going to be around 10 Because, yeah, it it really changed how we're thinking about it, right? Because we yeah, we, before we would never leverage a NASDAQ and this kind of taught us. But we also shouldn't overreact because theoretically, by the time we're able to have cash in our portfolios, so we're going to be going back up again, right? The, the time is to rebalance and take profits, which I've not been doing a good job uh, of. Um, but maybe we should. I think 10% is probably nice. For me, it's probably, good, it's probably a good uh, allocation. You yeah, the 20.
1: We'll figure it out. We, I, I don't know exactly how much for now, if it, but between 10 and 20. And, uh, and yeah, I basically want to start thinking of very long time horizons because, like, short term, I mean, yeah, if you need to sell stuff at the bottom, it's bad. But even if you don't have to, I, I always said I don't need to sell stuff at the bottom because, like, I have income. But it's not just that, it's not just about buying and selling, it's about, you know, taking advantage of good market conditions, both on the upside and on the downside. That's what cash allows you to do. Yeah. So even if you I don't need the money, if, even if it's money, you're not going to touch, it still
0: makes sense to have cash
1: in there. Cash, cash, cash,
0: cash, 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 cash. On this note, I think we should wrap up this one and then do part two. So see, yeah. Russia, Ukraine. See you guys next week about
1: Russia, Ukraine, and also about some, uh, very interesting technology, um, technology things that I've been following, um, that I wanted to talk to everybody about, very
0: so intriguing, very intriguing.
1: thank you for listening to us. Please, uh, subscribe and rate us, uh, and leave a comment. It really, really helps with the discoverability. Like I've noticed our audio only, um, listens are much more than the youtube ones and i think it's linked to the amount of comments and likes subscribes that we're getting on the podcast versus the video version so if you want to see our pretty faces going forward please uh give us some love on youtube we
0: have faces for radio as they say awesome thank you alex talk next time always Bye bye bye